0: Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Let's do this. Jay spoke last week, uh, first Sunday in December, on preparing the table for 2020 and uh, referenced the story of The Last Supper uh, here we are celebrating Jesus' birth and yet we're talking about his death. Okay? And uh, as she was doing that, I sat there and this phrase came to me. And this is very rare for me. I'm not the kind of preacher that gets a phrase and think, ooh, that's a good title for a message. But it happened last week. And as she's speaking, I thought, no, no, no. This whole thing about celebrating Jesus' death in conjunction with his birth is not just a thing for the bakers who make hot cross buns on Boxing Day. It really is a powerful reminder that Jesus was born to die and rather than bemoaning the fact that our shopping centers are full of hot cross buns on the day after Christmas maybe we should rather celebrate that and say listen this is the reason for the season he was born to die and why was he born to die well he was born to die so that the dead may live he was born to die so the dead may live. And this was a phrase that just sort of came to me. I wrote it down on my phone uh, while Jay was speaking, didn't really listen to much else that she said, and uh, <laughs> thought I would, wanted to speak on that today. Now this is my, uh, you know, as you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be launching... Uh, into Christmas more and more we 're going to be having guests and visitors on Christmas holidays uh, here in our midst, so over the next couple of Sundays we 're probably going to be a little lighter on in the uh, preaching or teaching component at least from the pulpit, by nature of the fact that we have a lot of uh, tourists and holiday makers. So today, I thought i 'd take the opportunity and do a good solid teaching on this subject and talk about the resurrection life of Christ and how Jesus brings the dead. To life, how we one, but the aspects of our salvation is the fact that the Bible says you have been raised from death. Jesus was born to die so that the dead may live, and so we're going to do a bit of a Bible study together today. We're going to start with the nativity, just so it feels Christmassy and then uh, go towards the end of Jesus' life and the lead up to his death, just to balance those two things out. Then I'm going to be having a look at Romans, uh, everyone's favourite chapter in Romans, the most confusing chapter, chapters nine to eleven. Okay, we'll we'll have a look at Romans 9 and we're going to end up in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to do a bit of a Bible study today. So this is what we're going to do before we start. I'm going to pray and ask everyone to close their eyes. And that gives you 20 seconds. If you remember, you suddenly have a really important phone call to make because you know, you may not be able to handle a solid Bible teaching today, then no one's going to know, okay? We're just going to close our eyes. You remember you've got that phone call or suddenly think, today's a great day to volunteer on Super Kids, then, uh, then uh, the, 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 uh, you can discreetly uh, leave if you, uh, if you wanted a sermonette today. We're going to go for a solid teaching and here we go. So let's pray because there is a good teacher in the room and we need to open up our hearts to him. Come on. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that we uh, sit at your feet today as our good teacher. You are a good teacher. And we today want to say we want to be good students as we sit and open your word. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have come as Jesus commanded and instructed and promised that you would to be our teacher and to lead and guide us into all truth. That there were things concealed that even Jesus could not tell his disciples. He said, there's things I want to tell you, but I can't. I need to wait until the Holy Spirit comes and He will reveal further things to you. Well, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence today and we thank you for teaching us. Speak to us, for your students are listening in Jesus' name. Come on. Amen. You're still here. Okay. Let's open up to Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bible, I've uh, tried to put these on the screen. So let's see how we go. We're going to start with the Christmas story and uh, read from verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was both righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Consolation's a fancy word for comfort. Okay, it's sort of borrowing there from Isaiah, who spoke a lot about the day coming where Israel, Jerusalem has happened a lot in the history it was going to be in strife and God was going to come and say comfort, comfort, comfort to my people, consolation, comfort, same kind of word, all right? So he was waiting. In this time in the 1st century, there was incredible anticipation for the Old Testament prophecies to be fulfilled. The people had done their math. They'd realised the statue of David had, a Roman, had Roman feet. And they're like, oh, that's the empire that's got us. You know, we're, There's something in this time period that's going to happen. They'd done their math about how God had promised a 70-year exile away and they came back. And when they came back, they built the temple and God did not come in the temple. Oh, what the heck? What's happening? Because there's no glory in the temple. And they realise the book of Leviticus says that if you are extra naughty... I'm going to punish you seven times over, and so some of them, some of them are doing the math, thinking maybe it's seventy times seven years. Maybe we have to wait another four to five hundred years before the glory comes to the temple. So whatever the theories were around at the time, there was this anticipation in these four hundred years leading up to Jesus coming that there's something special going to happen in the first century. Okay, they were reading the signs of the times, and Simeon is one of them. Am I speaking too fast? Simeon is one of them who is waiting. For the consolation of Israel. I've totally lost my place. So he's in, in anticipation. OK, let's go. It had been revealed to him by Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. OK, now listen, don't think, because theologians decided to call the 400 years between the Testaments the silent years, don't think that that means God suddenly stopped talking. Okay, that's a theologian's term. Sure, we may believe no scripture was written in that period, but even when I don't feel it, he's working. Don't we sing that? We sang that last week. So God was still, Holy Spirit was still alive and active and he'd spoken to Simeon before Jesus was born, that he would see Messiah before he died. Moved by the Spirit, verse 27, he went into the temple courts. (gasps) Something special about today, go to the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for them, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now, you read a bit of the Old Testament and you realize that the Hebrew people had a few traditions with their boys. Uh, When mum gave birth, she had to rest for seven days. Good advice. Yep, yep, keep her, keep her still for seven days. Then on the eighth day, she had her first obligation, a community obligation. And that obligation for a male child was to have him circumcised, all right? But from that day, he also then, she also then entered into another 33-day period of rest so that when the child was 40 days old... Um, you know a week seven days eighth day and then 40 significant numbers at the day age of 40 days she was to take him back to the temple and consecrate him all right so that's all there in Leviticus somewhere you can read up on that that's what's happening here Jesus is 40 days old Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying sovereign Lord as you promised you may may now dismiss your servant in peace how many of you felt like saying that sometimes I'm ready to go Lord dismiss me when you're ready please for my eyes have seen your salvation. What's the Hebrew word for God saves or salvation? Ye- Yeshua. What's Jesus' name? Yeshua. Okay. No one called him Jesus. That's Latin or something that comes along hundreds of years later. His name's Yeshua. Yeshua means God saves. That's what the angel said. You shall call him Jesus for he will... <laughs> You shall call him Yeshua, for he will save God's people from their sins. Simeon's holding this kid and going, what's his name? Yeshua. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I have seen the Lord's Yeshua. I have seen the Lord's salvation with my own eyes. Whoa. Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. He is both a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He will be both a light for the Gentiles. That's a bit of a Bible word. I think we should just replace it with nations. Let me just do that. You've made him a light to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. Like it or not, one of the things you're going to notice when you read through the New Testament a lot is this us and them narrative. Okay, you can't get past it. It's all over the show. It's a us Jewish people, us God's people, and them nations. Us Jews them Gentiles okay and the reason for that while it sounds a bit you know uh, ethno-nationalistic to use a fancy pants word it's really based on the history of the Old Testament where God said you are my special people God made a covenant with that group of people and so of course they developed a kind of an us and them mentality we Jews you nations we are distinct because we are God's chosen people where here's Simeon holding this baby and says he's going to be a light for your people Israel And also the nations. Jew and Gentile is the New Testament sort of phrasing for that. This is what the old guy says when Jesus is 40 days old. Fast forward to the week leading up to his death. We're going to go to John chapter 11 and see the words of another old guy and see what he thinks about Jesus. You still with me? John 11 is one of my favorite stories. It's about Lazarus raising or rising from the dead and many of you know that. This is one of Jesus' very good friends. He is the only man in the Bible who is called uh, the one that Jesus loved. Okay. And it's in this chapter that he's called that there in John 11. Well, he dies. Jesus rocks up late to the funeral. Everyone's like, yeah, good timing, Jesus. And uh, they're mourning and they're crying. And this is the Jesus wept story. Okay. Well, Jesus talks to his sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, where am I going to read from? Verse uh, Verse 23. Jesus said to her, this is Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, sure. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Part of the anticipation in the first century or part of the things that the Hebrew people were looking forward to was this, was this thing called the resurrection. And there was many different theories about what exactly that would look like because the Old Testament doesn't say a great deal about it that's really clear and the passages that it talks about resurrection are in prophetic books so they're kind of poetic anyway so there was a whole bunch of theories about what the resurrection was to look like to the point where some bible scholars the sadducees said not not going to happen at all okay now paul wasn't one of them he was a pharisee but this is uh part of the you know the, the theories of the day about yeah there's going to be a resurrection one day and one day lazarus will rise well jesus says this jesus said to her hang on I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He who believes in me will never die. It's hard to think of anything more insensitive to say to someone at a funeral. Wow. Believe in me. Anyone believes in me will not die. Your brother, maybe he didn't believe in me. Is that what I'm meant to think, Lord? He who believes in me will not die? Well, hang on. Is Jesus talking about physical death here or is he talking about another kind of death when Jesus says, "He who believes in me will never die. Does He mean that our bodies will never die?" No. no. We woke up to the news this morning of Reinhard Bonke, a famous African evangelist, died overnight. OK? Do we believe? Well, Reinhard died, therefore he mustn't have believed in Jesus. Because Jesus said, "You believe in me, you won't die." No you're not talking about physical death, you believe in me, there's another type of death that you will not experience. And one of the big issues that Jesus encountered and John's Gospel brings it up over and over and over and over, and over again is the fact that he often talked in language and people thought he was talking physically where he actually meant something else. And so he can say uh, to an old guy called Nicodemus, he can say, listen, you must be reborn and born again. And Nicodemus goes straight to thinking, how the heck am I going to get back in my mum's womb? okay how's that going to happen all right in chapter 2 is at the temple and he says listen if you destroy this temple i'll build it again in three days and they instantly thought of a physical temple no i'm not talking about something physical well, i am i'm talking about me it's a figure of speech he talks to the woman at the well on a hot day like today that she's sitting out in the sun he says get me a drink she says fine and then he has the gall to tell her by the way i've got water that never runs out and yet, I've still asked you to get me a drink. <laughs> okay, no, he was not talking about physical water. He was talking about us. he's talking about something spiritual, not something physical. He's at Capernaum, the, high, the climax of this. John six sixty six, easy verse to remember. And he says, "Listen, you can't have anything to do with me unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh." And people turned around and walked away because they don't want to have anything to do with that. Why? Because they misunderstood him. They kept thinking he was using physical, biological terms when he was actually speaking of another reality altogether. So here, when he says, if you believe in me, you will not die, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about another kind of death that is beyond biological. You see, the first time we see the word death mentioned in the Scripture is right back in the Garden of Eden. When God speaks to Adam and he says... Do not touch that, no, he didn't. Do not eat the fruit from that tree, because on the day you eat it, you will surely die. Now, you read all of Genesis 1 and 2, and that term, the day, is used about a dozen times. On the first day, God did this. On the second day, God did this. The night came, that was the first day. The second day, the third day, the seventh day, he rested. Those things happened at that day. And then he says, on the day you eat it, you will surely die. Now when Adam ate that fruit, did he die that day physically? No, the first man in biblical history to die was his son, Abel, hit over the head with a rock. Okay, So God's not saying, just to illustrate it for you, God's not saying this is a physical death you're going to experience, Adam. On the day you eat it, this is a relational death. He died this, he had an open, intimate fellowship with God and that relationship, that innocence before God, it was a relational type of death that he died that day and the physical sign of that was God saying, now I've got to clothe you, mate. And I'm going to send you away from the garden of delight and the garden of pleasure. And he left, as it were, the promised land because he experienced a death that day. It wasn't physical, but on that day, he most certainly died. Many people call it a spiritual death. Other people refer to it as more of a relational death. But here's the point. When Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, you will never die, he's talking about a relational death kind of death there is a death which means separation from God being cut off from a true living authentic reality with God and my friends that death is our greatest enemy physical death is not our great enemy now I say that with sensitivity because this is a time of the year that's actually hard for some families knowing that it's our first Christmas where we've lost a loved one Think of Reinhard Bonnke's family today. Okay, they're mourning the death, so they should. We weep the death of those we love—that physical death. But physical death is not the great enemy of humankind. The great enemy of humankind is the death where we are cut off relationally from God, because it is only in relationship with God that eternal life is to be found. This is eternal life, Jesus said. That they may know you, and that they know, may know me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Eternal life is relationship and communion with God. That is the kind of life that really counts. That's the kind kind of life that counts forever and therefore the kind of death that is the one we need to avoid like anything is a relational death to God where we are not in a right standing relationship with him that's why Jesus came not so our physical bodies could last forever he came so that we could have a relationship with God that endures forever whatever that looks like Jesus came you believe in me you will never die you'll be connected with God forever connected with God forever believe what you like But I believe in eternal security in that when you believe in Christ and put your faith in him, he will not let you go. No one can take you out of the Father's hand. You have life that is everlasting. How could it end? Holy, eternal life is knowing God. And this miracle with Lazarus, because then what did Jesus do? Well, He demonstrates a physical miracle here. But this miracle really ticked off the religious leaders when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to jump forward to verse 45. It says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and dibber told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees got together and called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here's this man performing Mary's signs. That physical resurrection was a sign of something. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. I haven't spent enough time musing on the connection there this week, but there's there's definitely something in there um, we need to grab a hold of. Anyway, verse 49. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up and said, you bunch of dum-dums. It's in the Greek. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the whole nation than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he was prophesying that Jesus would die not only for the Jewish nation, but for all the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Isn't it amazing that this person who doesn't believe in Jesus, never put faith in Jesus, in fact, it seems oversaw his death later on, actually God can use that tongue, that mouthpiece, to predict and prophesy something. And here's Caiaphas who's saying, listen, our people and all the scattered children of God will one day come together because this man will die. He says the two will become one. There will be a unity coming here quick little bit of Old Testament history. As you read through the Scriptures, God's people are united for hundreds of years. King David and Solomon bring them together as a wonderful kingdom. And that era, 120 years, becomes the golden years of God's people, as you read through the Old Testament. Then after Solomon's death, this thing splits into two. In the southern kingdom in Jerusalem and the northern kingdom in, which is then called Israel, it's also known as Ephraim. Israel, uh, Judah, and Ephraim. These guys worship false gods. Ahab and, and uh, the prophet Elijah and all that. Uh, they're up there. And after a few hundred years, God's had enough with them. And the prophet Isaiah come. Uh, no, the prophet. Well, he does too. But the prophet Hosea comes along and he says, "Listen, you're like my wife. You're like my bride." And one of the things that a husband can do under the old covenant law, if his wife's committed adultery again and again and again and again and again, don't freak out. It's a three thousand year old law. Just hold on. If she's committed adultery again and again, he has the right to oversee her death and divorce. And so Hosea is a book about God divorcing, basically annulling the covenant and overseeing her death. He actually says, I killed you with the words of my prophets. And that death that this kingdom experienced was not physical. A lot of people died, but it's not that they physically died. It was a relational death. Same thing, relational death, and God did exactly what He did with Adam in the garden, and He sent her away out of the Promised Land. Okay, cast him from their presence. She is now dead to God. Okay, out of covenant relationship with God, and scattered in the nations. We call that well, they they used to call that the Ten Lost Tribes, scattered and gone. Down in Judah, they behave in a very similar way, but because God's faithful to David, he keeps them going and he never divorces them. He only says in Isaiah, I separated, you, I separated from you for a moment. And that's where the exile comes in, 70 years, and then they come back. Okay? So all the way through the Old Testament, you've got Judah and Israel, Judah and Israel, or otherwise known as Judah and Ephraim. Judah and Ephraim. Judah is where we get the word Jew from. And the word Jews in the New Testament comes from Judahite, men of Judah. So that's where the term Judah, Jew, comes from later on. What's the point? It's the Judahites that are restored to their temple while these guys are scattered and gone. But all the prophets say there's a day coming where these two will be united again as one. Okay? They'll be united together as one with a new king whose name is David. Hint, hint. With a new covenant which will be everlasting hint, hint, with a new marriage, I'll marry myself to them and they'll be restored again as one unified kingdom. What is this old guy Caiaphas saying about Jesus? He said, isn't it better that one man die? And as he prophesied that, he said, listen, he's not just dying for the Jews, the, Judah, the people of Judah, he's also dying for all the scattered people of God. Remember these 10 northern tribes that all the prophets have been saying one day will come back? Yep, he's died for all of them to make them one. Okay, see that? So he's prophesying that. This is all the expectations here with the uh, Jewish leaders here in the first century. And so John drops a real, has a real mic drop here in the next couple of verses where he says this in verse 53. John 11 says, so he's, he's just prophesied the two shall be one, the two shall be one. And then verse 53 says, From that day on they plotted to take his life, both him and Lazarus, because Lazarus was bad advertising, dead guy walking around, let's kill him too. Again, kill him, we're going to kill Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness in a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. This is really subtle. But the prophet just says, my people of Judah and the people who used to be called Ephraim are going to be joined together. The moment he prophesies that, Jesus leaves Judea and goes to a town that just happens coincidentally to be called Ephraim, the same name of this kingdom. So there you go. John's just saying, guess what? He's hinting, this is what's about to happen. These two are about to come together because of Jesus. See that? It's subtle, but it's, it's fun. Okay, it's, it's, it's fun. This is why you need a big picture view of the Bible. What's the point, Chad? The point is this. At his birth, you've got Simeon holding 40-day Jesus in his arms and saying, yes, both God's people, and the nations are going to be brought together because the light is shining. In the lead up to his death, as they begin to plot his death, why would you talk about Easter at Christmas? As they begin to plot his death, this another old guy, Caiaphas, says, guess what? He's going to die not only for my people, he's going to die for the, all the children of God that are going to be brought together. Okay, So these two guys at the both ends of Jesus' life are saying the same thing. Are you with me? So now what we do is we turn to our least favourite book for many of us, in, uh, our least favourite chapter in the book of Romans, chapter 9, and uh, we're going well. Well done, guys. Romans chapter 9. I say least favourite because, well, for me anyway, we love Romans 8. For I am convinced that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it ends with the whole nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Woo! And then chapter 12, we love chapter 12, because chapter 12 begins, therefore, you know, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Chapter 8, awesome. Chapter 12 is awesome. And then you've got chapter 9 and 10, which is all about Israel and predestination and election, and they were chosen, they're not, now they're grafted in, and now the God's use objects of wrath, but he's always stored up mercy. And, and oh, we'll just read over that and keep going, you know, into chapter 12. So I'm going to dive right into... Romans 9 to help you see something with this explanation that Paul is wanting to bring out here. Okay, this is really powerful. Stay with me. You're doing really well. Chapter 9 verse 24. That fan is awesome. Even us. I can't read the whole thing. He's saying so by the time Paul writes the epistles, okay? He he still is talking in terms of us Jews, you nations. Us Jews, you Gentiles. And he does that in all of his letters. He goes, we Jews were like this, and you Gentiles were like this, but now we're one in Christ, because it's after the cross now. Okay, verse 24. Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, Chad mentioned him before, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. Who did Hosea say that to? These people in the north. They were my people, but now you're not. But a day is coming where you will be again. You were my loved one, now you're not. But a day is coming where you will be again. This is a promise made to the northern kingdom. okay? And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called God's very own people. Kids. Isaiah, on the other hand, cries out concerning Israel, which is God's current people. Okay, though the number of them be like sand on the sea, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence on earth with speed and finality. As as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord had left His descendants, would become like Sodom and Gomorrah, completely gone. What then shall we say that the Gentiles? Who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, a righteousness, but is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law have not attained their goal. This is subtle, but just grasp this with me. When Paul has to argue with people, I know this is going to go over some of your heads, but some, I'm, I'm trying to lift up our Bible knowledge here, Okay, so just bear with me. When Paul has to argue, not only are God's Hebrew people destined to receive Jesus, But also the nations are destined. What verse does he refer to? Well, in the early part of Romans, he says, he appeals to Abraham, who's going to bless all nations. But in this part of Romans, he appeals to prophecies made to the northern kingdom that God expelled. Okay? What happened with this northern kingdom? They were my people. You're not my people. But one day you will be. So what he is saying is, listen, when the nations are coming to Jesus... This is a fulfilment of what Hosea said to the northern kingdom. Don't go looking for the ten northern tribes with ethnic backgrounds somehow traceable to the tribe of Dan. No, this prophecy about the northern kingdom coming back again is being fulfilled when anyone who is a Gentile is coming back. Because when God spoke to this northern kingdom and said, you're not my people but one day you will be, he was saying that to effectively Gentiles. He's saying that to people that are no longer my people, but one day you will be. And so he says here in Romans, God has promised the nations to come to him. When he was speaking to this dead and divorced kingdom and promising them stuff, it's coming to fulfillment in my day as the nations are coming. That scripture is being fulfilled. In other words... Don't, you've gone quiet. Those who have been divorced and who are dead to God covenantally, they are becoming they are coming alive to God in Jesus Christ. You've gone quiet. Let's turn to the book of Ephesians and I'll show you something else. So he takes this prophecy and uses it to say, the Gentiles have received a ministry, and that's the prophecy God gave. To the people up the north in the old days. Ephesians 3, verse 2. Surely, for those who are busting for the toilet, this is my last passage, okay? Nowhere near. No, no. My last book. Surely, verse 2, you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, you Gentiles. That is the mystery. Made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Come on, say mystery. Mystery. Paul discovered something. A mystery. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in all previous generations, As it's now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. What? Are you telling me, Paul, that somehow all the biblical scholars in history have been looking for something and they haven't found it? And now suddenly you have? Are you suddenly, suddenly saying that now there's a light gone on, a mystery that's been kept hidden for ages past, but has now been discovered by God's holy apostles and prophets, that now suddenly a light has gone on, that now maybe Jesus, when he said to his disciples before he left, I've got heaps of stuff to tell you, but I can't tell you right now. After I'm gone, the Holy Spirit will tell you stuff that I just can't quite because you're not ready. There's going to there's gonna come revelation about the Scriptures that God has kept hidden and, and, and apostles in the Holy Spirit will notice things. Paul's saying, I've, I've discovered a mystery, guys, that's now been revealed. What is that mystery? This mystery is that through the gospel, the nations, Gentiles, are heirs together with the Jews, Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Of Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus was promised to us, the Jews. Nah, 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 nah. He was also promised to the nations, because when God was promising the Northern Kingdom, not my people, one day you will be my kingdom again. That was a promise to nations to bring them together in one new body. Chapter two, verse eleven. Therefore, remember. That you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision done in the hands by a human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You nations, you nations over here, you were separate from Jesus and the promises and all the stuff that God had because He had a special people. You were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship and you were foreigners to the covenants to the promise. You were without hope. You were without God. You were nothing. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Jesus not only reconciled humanity with God up and down, He also reconciled those who were far away from God, who had no relational, historical, ethnic, biological, paternal background. He's bringing all those people and the people that have been following God for since Abraham, 2,000, 3,000 years. He brought them together in one body. He brought them together. He's made the two one. That sounds like Caiaphas, doesn't it? He'll make the two one, not only God's people but also all the scattered children, they're going to come together as one. And he's destroyed the barrier that separated them, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself, out of the two, one new humanity and making peace by his blood. In his body, he reconciles both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those of you who were far away and preached that peace to those of us who had been near. For through him, we both equally have access to the Father by the one and the self-same Holy Spirit. Old man Simeon holds a baby. Oh, guess what? A light for God's people, a light for the world. Old man Caiaphas prophesies without knowing it this guy's going to die not only for this nation but he's going to die for all the scattered children of God Hosea prophesies you northern kingdom are going to die but one day God will make you alive again and Paul realizes bam do you know when that's going to happen it's happening now as the nations are coming that is the fulfillment of that prophecy nations are coming in the outside people and those of us who've been close for years are coming together in one body because of Jesus Christ verse 15 verse 1 chapter 2 verse 1 And so he says this. I'm actually working my way backwards, but it makes sense. Chapter 2 verse 1. But as for you, when he says you, who's he talking to? Fine. Yeah, us. He's talking to the nations that are now Christians, not Jews. He's talking to you Gentile Ephesians. As for you, you were dead. Were you dead physically? No? No? You were dead how? In sin, relationally dead to God, cut away, separated, far away, dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live. So it's obviously not physical, is it? I was dead in sin, and that's how I used to live yeah, good one, Paul. Okay, you were dead in sins in when you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the kingdom, the um, spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at the time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of His great love for us, Alex, God who is rich in mercy, made us. Hey, you were dead, but now we have been made. You've been resurrected. You've experienced resurrection life. I was dead to God relationally. I was cut off from him. I was not involved with God at all. I was dead spiritually. And he made me alive in Christ Jesus. Even when... We were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. God not only raised us, but He raised us up with Christ, seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ, so that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expecting His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that any man can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do." Remember, therefore, those of you who were nations by birth and called the uncircumcised are now being brought in and you are citizens of heaven. And we keep on reading. Remember that at that time you were separate, excluded from Israel, foreigners to covenants, without hope, but now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so the rest of that chapter continues. Holy. You were dead and now you have been made alive and you've been brought together in a new body. So it can truly be said, those who believe in him will never die. We'll never die. We are connected with God because the life that matters is a life of innocence. It is a life of intimacy with God. That is eternal life that you may know God and that you may know the Father. Jesus did not come to make moral people behave better, immoral people behave better. Jesus did not come only to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. Jesus came to make sick people well. Jesus came to see lost people found. Jesus was born to die so that the dead may truly live and may live forever because the thief came and his job was to kill, to steal and to destroy but Jesus came that you may have a life that supersedes this planet. You may have a life and life abundantly. More life than you will ever need. More life in quality and more life in quantity. You can never quantify eternal life. How can our puny brains even think about eternity? God has given us a life that endures age to age to age. Church, God has given us eternal life. And we were, we were worshipping together on Thursday night and there was one of the lines in the song, that just broke me. What is that? You are life song. You have come so that we may have life everlasting. And just suddenly, I, it was like, dang. I didn't say that in the microphone, but dang, how often... Do we just lose sight of the eternal life that we've been gifted in Christ? Eternity. Never-ending. We sing a song like that. Ah, oh, you've come, the we may have life everlasting. How can we sing it like that? You, we may have a life that goes on forever. That is incredible. It's the constant reminder of the Scriptures. Set your mind on things you don't see. Set your mind on eternity. Things on this planet won't last. What really matters is a relationship with God that will endure forever. And I don't know everything of what heaven looks like. And people have different experiences and come back with different stories and same stories. I don't know. But what I do know is that eternity is connection with God forever. Eternal life is something that we have now. So that even though we die, we still live. So that actually those who believe in Him will actually never die because the greatest enemy that we have is separation from a relationship with God. And the greatest gift we are given is a relationship with God that Jesus purchased on the cross. And it's not just for religious people. It's not just for those that grew up with a particular ethnicity. This is a promise from ages past that God has given to all nations. God has given to all people to come together together in Christ Jesus. No greater gift could God ever give than relationship with Himself, which is eternal life. That is the gift. That is the reason for the season. And so we rejoice in the gift of Jesus' birth. But that boy was born to die because it is in His blood that He not only divided uh, the, the, the wall of hostility between man and God, destroyed, destroyed the law and that whole relational system with God was utterly destroyed. A new living way was opened up to access heaven freely with our sins forgiven, just made pure by His blood. Not only did He do that vertically, but He did that horizontally. He brought people together that have nothing in common and said, you can come together as one body. You can come together as a people so that you don't have to read the Bible and go, gee, I'm not a Hebrew. None of this applies to me. I'll just go to the New Testament. No, 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 no. This book speaks of us from beginning to end. Those of us who don't have Jewish roots or whatever, all that sort of stuff. We are God has brought us together in Christ Jesus. The promise of Christ is for all of us. And I don't know everyone here today but God's promise for Jesus and eternal life is not just for all of us it's for each of us it's not just for all of us eternal life is not just a promise for y'all it's a promise for you it's a promise for all of us an eternal life relationship with God is the most important thing God can call you from being dead to God not knowing him feeling distant from him not having a freedom to access his presence with liberty and freedom to tell you your sins are being forgiven To open up a new and living way by his body. And you might not even understand it. Well, guess what? No one in this room understands the gospel in its fullness. That's why we have to keep being reminded of how good it is. But today, my friends, we celebrate the resurrection life of God. The one who was born to die was raised again. He died to God relationally as he became sin for us. Because the physical resurrection of Jesus is an incredible thing that we celebrate. But what happened on that cross is that he also died relationally he became sin he was cut off from a relationship with god he died relationally and god raised him up from that death and raised him again into relationship with god forever that is the pattern that we also follow dead to god alive to him forever and the moment he did that a curtain was torn Uh, An old way of relating to God through religion, rites, rituals and rules was destroyed and broken. The access to God is made available through Christ and that's why he's such a big deal to us. We don't worship this thing. But we take this very seriously because more than anything, it reveals Jesus. The reason for the book is to reveal Christ to us, to show us who God really is and to show us how we can relate to him properly. And we relate to him rightly. Because our com- as when we put our confidence in Jesus and what his work has done for us. If you're a Christian here today, please never lose sight of the wonder of the cross. Never lose sight of the wonder of what Jesus did when he was willing to be separated from God. That physical death he endured, Passion Movie showed us this. It was pretty darn horrendous and it was very important. But the greatest pain he experienced was being cut off from his dad. He became sin so that we could become righteous in him. Righteous in him. Stand before a holy God and be pure. We are not only, we were dead, we've been made alive. We were sinful and we've been made perfectly holy. And that is an incredibly wonderful thing that we should continually give thanks for. He was born to die. We celebrate his death, but we know why he came. He came to die for the dead so that the dead may live. And as Peter said at Pentecost, this promise is for you and all who are far off, to all whom the Lord our God will call. And I'm for one, I'm grateful that God called me. Maybe he's calling you today to come into a relationship I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au and of course if you're ever in the area please pop in and say day.